Good morning and welcome to episode seven of the Maryland Bike Club's Coach's Corner. I'm Alex Braggs, race director of the Maryland Bike Club, and with me as always is Paul Moffat, owner of Velocity.ca and cycling coach of the Maryland Bike Club. How are you doing this morning, Paul? I'm doing great. Thanks, Alex. Good to see you. And this week we have another guest Loma on the pod today, Jacqueline Holmes. How are you, Jacqueline? I'm doing great. Thanks, Alex. And so today we have a podcast that will be focused really on long rides, um, one of Jacqueline's specialties. So I'm glad that we have her on the, on the podcast today. Um, so Jacqueline, you want to talk a little bit about your riding and about any questions you have um, with Paul, for Paul? Sure, great. Uh, thanks. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, so... I've been riding for about eight years, um, and I would say the last three years, um, I've really been doing a, a, a lot of really big rides. Um, um, lately, I've been uh, doing some uh, 200K rides, which are, which are large, uh, which I try to prepare for, uh, and along with my regular weekly rides, so typically logging in about four to 500K a week. Um, and I've been having recurring problems, particularly when I get beyond about 160 K, um, I get, my legs are good. Um, and that includes a fair bit of climbing as well. And my legs are totally fine, which is interesting because you'd expect the legs to go. Uh, but really my neck and shoulders, um, I get to switch up my positioning, uh, in the drops on the tops, um, and move around a bit and a couple of stops, but I really do get some cramping. Uh, in my neck um, and some limited movement and shoulder checking becomes painful right in behind my shoulder but my left shoulder blade typically so I try to shoulder check the other way um, I've tried everything I do some stretching but I'm really looking for a little bit of advice on that from coach Paul um, because it it really does it becomes painful and it and it really is not that pleasant for those last 50 or 60 kilometers so that's my first question for Paul. Right on. Uh, hey, Jacqueline, good to hear from you and, and great questions for sure. Um, so there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind. Um, now, you're also a unique case, right? You're doing really big rides um, and not everyone's going to be doing 200 kilometers in uh, several, like how many hours are those rides taking you on, on, on average? Like if you're doing 160, 200K, you're talking eight hours. Eight, eight and a half hours, yeah, yeah. That's a big day. That's something hard to prepare for, and it could, it could take uh, several seasons to condition yourself to the point where you feel good doing that. Um, one thing is, like, how long has it taken to transition into these rides? You know, if this is something new for you, you haven't conditioned yourself over seasons, then it's, it can come down to purely a conditioning uh, component. Your body's simply not... Um, used to the amount of loading that you're putting it under. Um, so just like the gym, you know, if I have an athlete going to the gym and they want to do a 220 uh, pound squat, and when they come in, they start off at 110 pounds, you have to take long, slow steps to progress them up to that to do it safely. I mean, we could try 220, but we would expect to see some kind of breaking point their knees would hurt, their feet would hurt, et cetera, et cetera, until you've built up the strength to it. So there's, there's definitely like a, a trajectory to that point. 
And that's the thing with cycling is very easy to jump in and you can get away with jumping in from doing like a hundred K ride to 160 K ride without too much trouble. But, um, you will experience some point of discomfort because your body isn't prepared for that. So a couple of things that you could do to help with that um, is look at, look at your training volume, right? If the most important part of your ride is to do your 160K ride, do a couple of days prep leading up to it, right? So doing a 100K ride the day before a 160K ride is going to leave you fairly tired before you even start that, right? So doing just like a, a, I'm sure we're all familiar with the term openers. I know Alex is, he gets openers from me all the time. Uh, so the day before we do a race, we go out and we just freshen up our legs, right? It's a, technically a recovery ride and um, it's just to go out, spin out the legs, etc. You keep it under 90 minutes and you keep your heart rate, say, under 140 or 130 BPM, just depending on how you go, right? So that will freshen you up for your ride. Now, it's no different with your upper body, right? So while you're on the bike, just play around in different positions. Don't make yourself sore. Just get your body prepped for the next day, and that will help progress things. And then just making sure that, you know, two to three days out from your ride, you're not doing any, like, very, very hard training rides because that's going to affect that. So, for example, some of the workouts that I've been giving you guys, like the VO2s, um, and the anaerobic stuff that we're leading into, those actually require quite a bit of upper body strength work to, to power through that. You need stability from your core and your shoulders to drive up a steep hill under, under big loads, right? Um, and at the time, you might not feel that fatigue, but that fatigue can be underlying. So if that workout is a bit too close to a really big ride, then that can be increasing your fatigue or at least the rate at which you fatigue on the big ride itself. So it's bringing those cramping um, effects forward, if you will. The same happens with uh, leg cramps and, and calf cramps and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of looking at it from like, what are you doing leading up to your ride? But if we're looking at like the ride itself, how we can improve things, there can be some small things. Um, bike fit is always one. So we're looking at the mechanical components. You know, how are, are your bars the right width for you? is your stem set up the right distance from your seat so that you're not overloading your shoulders too much? Um, how are your, how are the hoods of your handlebars tilted? These are all things that a really good bike fitter would be able to address. Uh, something that I didn't even ask yet is, do you have any previous injury history? What's your, and this is something our physio friend, I, I sorry, I forget her name, um, that we're working with, with Mariloma. Darren. Yeah. So that would be something to have a look at with her and, and to have it assess, you know, like, is there an old injury that might be getting aggravated um, doing these long rides? And that doesn't mean that you don't have to do your long rides. It just means that maybe you do some uh, soft tissue work or rehab exercises to address some of those um, old issues that you have to help your comfort while you're on the bike. Um, yeah, so without even going down that, that road yet, um, just by maybe having someone look at your bike fit, that could solve all your problems. Could even be something as simple as like your bar tape, right? So we know that when the pros are doing the Paris-Roubaix and the Tour of Flanders, they ride different types of bar, ta bar, bar tape because A, the rides are really long and they're really brutal. So there's gravel, there's cobbles and all sorts of other things. So they need a bit more cushioning, right? 
They're not looking for the same responsiveness from their handlebars and the raciness that they would normally have. In fact, some, some teams ride different bikes. So a lot of the teams on Specialized will ride the Roubaix model, which is completely different geometry, right? It's up a little bit, it's shorter a little bit, so you're a bit more comfortable. Um, and it, they have dampening in it. And that's because of the duration of those rides and also the type of riding surfaces that they're on. So making small adjustments to things like Bartake can make a big difference as well. So that's looking at kind of the mechanical component. The other one is like looking at your training itself. Have you got, um, and, and we should ask you, have you got a, an upper body and a core program in your training regime? No. Okay. Um, you, know, I, I can, you know, when you're talking, I can almost, I almost know what the issue is. First of all, I just like riding. So I ride a lot and um, I don't know what it's like to have a short recovery ride. You know, I'll go out for a recovery ride and then next thing you know, it's a hammer ride and, and I'm down in the drops and my bike is quite aggressive and it's an aero bike. So it's stiff. So um, I love my bike. I love being on it. It's what I do in my spare time all the time and I don't stretch. So that's a whole other thing too about stretching and um, previous injuries, I've had a few, but nothing major. I don't really typically lead up to rides. I mean, I'll do, my rides are generally 100K minimum. And, you know, the day before 200, I'll go out for 110 and then do a 200 and then take a day off and then do another 100. So it's um, probably too much, but I just enjoy it so much. And so that's, I'm just trying to, you know, and I, I think physio would probably help as well, for sure. Look, we're, we're all guilty of that. Um, trying to get those those big rides in and like getting a couple and joining up to the Festive 500s and especially the Strava challenges, right? Mm -hmm. um, as a coach, that's my biggest qualm with these challenges is they tend to make athletes overextend themselves, right? And you're putting these rides back to back. So just basically what you said there, your training volume is maybe a bit too much, right? Or your riding volume. Mm. Um, but sometimes it can just be how you're placing those rides. So if you could separate your 110 and your 160 out a little bit further, so one happens midweek and one happens, so they're not falling back to back, that could solve your issue right there. I would also just recommend dedicating, so if you have a, a day where you like to do Stanley Park loops and there's no reason for that, a better use of that time might be to do an upper body workout, do some shoulder presses, do some push-ups, uh, incorporate some light core work, start working on your posture, strengthen your shoulder blades, all those things that you need. Think about how much load, like your upper body weighs something, even your arms weigh quite a bit, there's several kilograms there, right? Times that by two. Now you have to support yourself for eight hours on a ride. So how strong are those muscles supporting that mass? So dedicating and just once a week could be enough for the start just to um, slowly progress you up. It doesn't have to be complicated. It could be a 30 or 40 minute workout. It could be body weight. You don't have to join up to the gym or get a personal trainer. Just keep it simple and start um, working, working those muscles that you're using while you're on the bike. General guidelines, if you're going to start a exercise program, try to keep things even. So if you're doing several pushing exercises, do the same amount of pulling exercises. We work front and back, right? So even though you're trying to develop your shoulders and maybe pushing is how you want, want to develop your strength for supporting your handlebars, 
we also want to make sure that we don't cause any asymmetries. Mm -hmm. So you want to do an equal amount of pulling exercises to counterbalance what you're doing there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's about all I have for that. <laughs> and then like incorporating some uh, basic planking exercises. Now, if you think about what being, we've all seen everyone being in the drops, like extended out in time trial position. That is basically what a plank is, right? If you're on your elbows like that and you've got your legs extended out the back, it's quite a bit more leverage. You're not going to do that for eight hours, but can you do a really good plank with a completely flat back with your tailbone tucked and your abs properly engaged for a minute? Because if you're having trouble doing that, then guess where a lot of that load is going to be going through? It's going to, well, in, in the case of the plank, it's going to go through your back, but probably your shoulders. So if you're having trouble doing that from the floor in a controlled environment, when you're doing it on the bike, who knows how much loading, extra loading is going through your uh, shoulders if you're, and your neck as well, if you're not uh, able to engage your core well and for it not to come online automatically. Yeah, so that's just, uh, uh, just off the top of my head, I guess. So hopefully that answers some of your questions there. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Paul. That's, I think that's, that's great. Um, uh, I think that's a, a lot of good tips for a lot. A lot of our riders like to do a lot of kilometers, put a lot of time in the saddle. And I think that's, those are all great tips for how to make sure you do it in a way that is controlled and um, ensuring that you're, you're not going to bring too much fatigue into a long ride. Yeah. That, that can be problematic. And you also spoke a bit about these, these Strava challenges and how that's a bit of your, your, your challenge as a coach is, is dealing with these Strava challenges and, um and and you know getting the climbing badge or the distance badge um and we also talked about in early episodes about how these zone one rides are really really beneficial and zone one rides that you know you want them to be longer so you get the you get the adaptations over a long period of time so how do we kind of uh, identify for ourselves what is a really good healthy long zone one ride and at what point are we are we just accumulating, you know, what we what we called earlier junk miles. Can you help us kind of tease out what the difference between the two are? Um, sure. I think if if I if I can backtrack a little bit and maybe pick on Jacqueline a little bit uh, because she's the classic case of where um, a, a productive ride can turn into an unproductive ride or junk miles, if you will, um, and. and you're not guiltless in this, Jacqueline. I've done it. I know Alex has done it. We've all done it. And uh, a lot of athletes tend to do it. We go on recovery rides, right? And suddenly your recovery ride gets extended and a two-hour ride becomes a four-hour ride. Or you on the day of a recovery ride, and this is the big one, you, you're starting your ride and suddenly your legs feel fresh. They feel good. So Tim was talking about that. What about those days when my legs feel good? And we're all guilty. Our ego kicks in and we're like, so-and-so just went off the front and my legs feel amazing. There's no way that's happening on my watch. Boom. You put the throttle down, you chase your buddy up the hill. You have a Strava PR, a prospect point, whatever it is. Well, guess what? You just turned your recovery right into junk miles in that one split second. Um, when you have those sensations of good legs on a ride and that ride was a recovery ride, that is a good indication that your recovery is working. It's not finished, it's working. So you need to think of that as an investment. You need to pay it forward. So even though you feel good and you feel really tempted to go and crush it, 
stick to your goal for the day. So set yourself some parameters for the day before you leave the house. That's, that's one of the best ways to stay on track. I'm going to keep my ride. If it's a true recovery ride, I would say it shouldn't be over 90 minutes. Okay. Two hours maximum. So let's say, okay, this today I'm going to keep it under two hours and I'm going to keep my heart rate under 140 and you stick to that no matter how good your legs feel, no matter how many e-bikers go past you on Spanish banks, you just got to let them go. In fact, I play a little game called the fishing game and uh, I'm the bait. I let them let whoever I think I should be beating catch me on the hit on the hill and then I let my reel out. So I let them go as far as they want to, as long as I'm staying underneath my heart rate. And then when I get to the top, I'm going to pull them back nice and slowly. So that's when you reel in your big fish. There's nothing more frustrating than getting passed by someone on the flats or you pass on the hill. So I have a lot of fun with that. Um, <laughs> so if you've ever experienced that, I apologize. I'm just playing my fishing game and doing my recovery right. But yeah, it's, it's important to set some ground rules before you leave the house. Now, recovery ride is different to a zone one endurance ride where we're trying to build uh, a zone one. There is some overlap there, so I don't want to confuse people, but treat your recovery rides like a proper recovery ride, okay? You're meant to recover from it. Don't be tempted to smash. Uh, zone one rides where we're doing, say, like a three to five hour volume zone one ride, same thing. You need to set yourself some, some ground rules. Uh, you, most of you know what FTP is by now. So if you're using a power meter, you should be nowhere near your FTP numbers because as soon as you hit an FTP, FTP is an anaerobic value. So you're simply not being aerobic if you're going up to FTP for longer than a few seconds. Um, set yourself a heart rate zone. So if you already have one tested, that'll be it. If not, you can just use a basic test. Um, so when you're riding somewhat fast, can you hold a conversation? Okay, so if you're struggling to breathe while you're talking, that's just above zone one. So you wanna bring that down a little bit, right? So and then whatever that heart rate value is, that's gonna approximate the top of your zone one. Okay, so don't go over that. Um, and then just stick to that for as much of the, the ride as you can. Now, once in a while, you're gonna want to maybe steer off topic a little bit and, um, and maybe do a couple sprints. Now sprints are kind of a unique one where you can um, do something fun without affecting your aerobic zone one, okay? But I, I would save them for the last hour of your ride, which is kind of cool because if your buddies have been smashing, they're gonna be a little bit fatigued so when you do your sprints, they're going to be devastating to them. <laughs> they're going to be hard to catch you. So you do a couple 10-second sprints, and you spread them out by 10 to 15 minutes in the last hour of your ride. And that's how you could have a little bit of unstructured fun on a zone one ride and not um, compromise the effects of that ride and turn it into a junk miles ride. It's when we start throwing hills into it and things like that. So a zone one to Horseshoe Bay is a very tough thing to do. And it's, it's if you're riding with other people, um, it generally turns into a, a junk miles ride pretty quickly. Yeah. I think I do a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, think we, I think we all do. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I think that, that junk miles are generally the most fun, but they, they, uh, they don't necessarily, they don't maximize your, the training effects. And that's the, that's the issue. So it's, uh, you kind of have to uh, make some calls in your training about, you know, whether um, 
you're trying to maximize your fun or maximize your training. And I don't think there's anything wrong with maximizing your fun. Um, uh, you just got to know that you may be paying a price and uh, bringing fatigue into a big ride that's coming up or not getting, you know, not raising your FTP or your VO2s in the way that you could if you were a little more controlled in your riding. Would you say that that's right, Paul? Absolutely. You know, like if moderation and moderation, you should be having fun while you're riding, right? So sometimes doing, um, doing a junk miles ride where you know going into it, that's what it is. It's just fun with your buddies. That's great for the soul and it's, it's great for your uh, – for the mental component, like getting what you want from writing in the first place. That's why most of us are there. We're, we're social creatures. We, we, we want to ride with other people and we want to uh, enjoy the fitness that we're accruing. So absolutely um, working that into your training plan, can be a good idea. The, the problem is um, when you're trying to do it before, uh, a, a big training ride or a big ride itself and expecting to perform well after having a smash day. So generally speaking, we call junk miles smash days because nobody ever just does a casual ride when they're doing junk miles. They're smashing, right? And a smash day increases the rate of fatigue, right? You might not feel it, but it's there. It's underlying. When you see it is usually when you need to tap into your, your high-end power for long periods of time. So when you're doing uh, threshold efforts or VO2 efforts and suddenly your legs are either like dead and, and heavy or the power just isn't there. You're not able to sustain it or keep it where you want it to go. That's because of those jump miles uh, paying you back for, for all that. So it can just be a matter of organizing your rides a bit so you don't compromise your training, but you can have fun with it too. So that's always something I, I, I try to um, take into account with an athlete is like, what, what do they do when they want to have fun? You know, we definitely want to provide them that. Um, but when we, when we allocate time for those rides, how do I plan the rest of my week to make sure that that ride doesn't implicate the results that they're trying to achieve? The, the other thing to think about is this is somewhere where junk miles can really come into it on workout days, um, smashing your warmups and smashing your cool downs, right? So really that day is all about providing your body with the necessary energy and means to do the workout as best and as close to prescribed. If you're going to put any extra smashing in, save it for the last few intervals in your workout. So if you're getting a five by five, which we talked about in the uh, coaching stuff this week, I think a lot of you riders did uh, five by four minutes. Set, set aside the last two intervals. If you're feeling good, that's what you're going to get the best value from. it. You're going to get a PR most probably. You're going to um, be able to elicit that extra power that you're feeling and you're going to get a better training effect from that rather than, rushing to the workout zone and racing your buddies to get there, in which case you're going to be tired going into your workout or finishing your ride and then doing some smashing. Like, why weren't you doing that in the workout? You're going to get better results from that, right? So <laughs> it's just, but we, we're all get kind of caught up in, in the whole Strava thing. So, and Strava isn't always a reflection of um, what's going on. So for example, this time of year is the season of FOMO. 
So when I see Jacqueline's ride, I don't know anything about that ride. I don't know how much pain she was in. I didn't know that she had toe cramps and, and a sore neck. All I see is a 200K ride and I'm like, damn, Jacqueline's killing it. I got to step up my game, right? And it just starts to build on each other. It's something that I see with my athletes and it's really important for me to let them know, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, uh, yeah, mileage is awesome, but these are all um, tools that fuel our ego. They don't necessarily fuel your fitness. Right. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I think that that's um, one of the key things there is to be able to identify when uh, you need to take a break. So you can, you can structure this into your training calendar by making sure that you have uh, recovery days after these, after harder rides. And like if you have a VO2 workout or like we were talking earlier, you want to have a smash day, make sure you have a recovery day after that. But you know, outside of structuring it in your calendar, uh, and we have about five minutes, so you know, we, we don't have too much time to go into it, but if you can give us just some highlights of things that you can, signs that you can uh, identify that tell you, maybe you should uh, reel it back in for a day or two and cover. Like what, what signs are there that we can be keeping aware of to say, oh yeah, it's time for a recovery day. Right. Um, just from a day-to-day -day perspective, if you're getting mood swings um, or you're just feeling tired, you're feeling like you're not getting enough sleep, even though you're sleeping like six to eight hours, those are usually pretty good signs. Um, on your rides, if you have unusually heavy legs, like you're doing a ride that you normally do and you're like, damn, my legs feel sluggish and heavy, that's usually a sign that you're carrying fatigue uh, into it. And on the very, very obvious scale, not being able to hit your FTP. If you've done a lot of training in the last little while um, and you know your FTP is 300 watts and you're struggling to get 300 or stay at 300 on a regular training ride, um, but you haven't skipped any training, that's probably fatigue. It's not your fitness. Your fitness is being... Um, uh, what would you call it? stifled by the underlying fatigue there's there's always a balance you need a certain amount of fatigue to stimulate your fitness and stimulate your body to change but that fatigue can also um, quickly escalate and prevent your fitness from moving forward so it's, it's always a balancing act and that's why we can't smash every time we ride as much as we would all love to yeah well thank you so much paul we uh really appreciate it appreciate all your insights and uh, hopefully this will allow our riders to make sure and get out and get those, those big rides in and uh, make sure that they get the most benefit out of it. So thank you so much. And Jacqueline, thank you so much for uh, being our guest today. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. My pleasure. And okay. uh, we'll see you all. I think we'll have one more week or two, one or two more weeks of coaches corner before we see you all out there on our Wednesday workout. So uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, looking forward to Take it. Thank you, everybody. Bye.